Hi, welcome back to Relatably Weird. I'm Tiff. And I'm Kate. And this is our special holiday episode because we heard that you all were so good this year that we decided to drop a special episode just for the holidays, just for you. So, Kate. Yes. It's Christmas. It is Christmas. We're literally doing this on Christmas Day. Yes. In the closet. Yes. Because <laughs> that's our studios. Um and uh, we decided that we we're going to record a little episode for you guys. Uh, Kate, what's your teaser for today? Ooh, so I'm going to talk about canceling Christmas. Oh, oh, Kate says she's had enough of Christmas, so... It's not who you think it is. Oh, okay. Well, I am going to talk about the, the Christmas gift that saved lives. Well, yours sounds a lot happier than mine. <laughs> Well, I figured since it was the holidays, I would try to keep it at least somewhat upbeat, you know, because holidays. Mine was more of a, like, I heard the fact and went, no way, that's dumb. Well, see, I kind of, okay, not the dumb part, but I heard mine and went, no way, that didn't happen. I've (laughs) never heard of this. And I had to go look it up. And of course, that led me down the rabbit hole of researching this topic Mm. um so it's i'm excited to share this one with you so well tiff i think maybe i should go first because like i said your sounds like it might be a lot happier than canceling christmas yeah okay so let's cancel christmas and then i'll bring it back okay so we've just celebrated christmas like all of our festivities are done but some people might still be celebrating today or tomorrow whenever Um, And we do love Christmas. We do. I know I love Christmas. And even though the holiday has been secularized, it does have roots in the Christian faith. But what if I told you there was a time where Christians hated Christmas? I would not be shocked because (laughs) uh, they also have a habit of killing all the fun. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. And I say all the fun, but, you know, I say that in jest. Like, yes. <laughs> you know, they have been they've been known to be the party poopers throughout history. And yes. So telling me that they canceled Christmas, I get the image in my head of like the Grinch. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> that's that's what came to my mind whenever you said that. And I could totally see them just like stealing Christmas. You can't have this. This is too happy and joyful. Well, I mean, you're kind of on the right track. Oh. Um, the specific group I want to talk about are the Puritans. Oh, not the Good Puritans. old Puritans. They definitely were the stealers of fun. Yes, they were. So, uh, for those of you who don't know who the Puritans are, uh, this was a group that sailed from England for the Americas around the 1630s. Um kind of like the pilgrims they wanted religious freedom prosperity political freedom but don't confuse them with the pilgrims because they actually came to the americas about 10 years before the first group of puritans really got here Um, they rose up from the church of england uh, around the beginning of the 16th century Uh, they felt like the church of england which was formed shortly after henry the eighth split from the roman catholic church they thought it was still too similar to the Catholicism. Oh. So they were more... They they liked the idea of the split, but even the church that Henry VIII created, they felt like it just 
was too close. There were still all these rituals that weren't necessary and yeah, they just didn't like it. Uh, they were literally by the book. They wanted to eliminate any practice, I'm sorry, any practice that was not directly rooted in the Bible. Wow. So when they migrated to the Americas, specifically Massachusetts Bay, they brought those ideas with them and they began to establish their churches. So we're going to fast forward about 29 years to 1659 and the Puritans have had enough. <laughs> And they said no more. They've they've come to America. They've established themselves. They actually brought their family. So when the pilgrims came over, it was mostly like young men, right? Young sturdy men, you know, protect the females. They can't. They're too dainty for sea travel. The like Puritans were like, no, family is the most important. They're coming with us. So they brought their families with them. They've established, you know, their churches and their homes. And they're living out the Bible to the T. They've rid hmm. themselves of any practices not directly rooted in the Bible. And then comes Christmas. <laughs> Good old Christmas. Christmas oh, oh, oh. created a problem for the Puritans. Because while the birth of Jesus is well documented in the Bible, it's got four whole books that document it, uh, there's no evidence that he was born on December 25th. Oh, yeah. It's not That's... in the Bible anywhere. Yeah. Christmas That's... wasn't even celebrated until hundreds of years after Jesus' birth. Mm -hmm. Which, if you didn't know this, Pope Julius I picked December 25th specifically because it would overlap with several other religious events, including, and I'm, forgive me if I say any of these incorrectly, Saturnalia, mm -hmm. the Yule Feast, yep. Hanukkah, the, yep. this is the one I'm going to mess up, the Nautilus Invic Invicti, not, I didn't get to see what that one was, but there's all these festivals happening around winter time. Yes. Um, there's just a rich history of all these different rituals and practices that people would do around that time of year because, you know, you do have the winter solstice, longest night of the year you know there's yep. this kind of praying to your deity or god whatever to bring back life to bring back the sun and the warmth you know yep. because you wanted to survive and there's something just about celebrating in general in a time that's dark and cold and that just gives you a little hope to kind of make it through until the sun does come back until the warmth does come back exactly and so all of these celebrations are happening around the same time. So if you want to get people on board with your religious celebration, you kind of want to get it to where people are already used to celebrating. They're not working as much. Mm -hmm. They are setting aside time to celebrate. So it makes sense that he picked that date. But the Puritans didn't like it because there was no proof in the Bible. Of course. So at the time... There was a Puritan reverend. His name was Increase Mather. What a name. Uh, he felt as though the celebrations were indulgent with too much wine and celebrating. I have heard that, like, Christmas in the past was, like, a very boozy thing. Yes. Like, to the point where, like, it, it was... Oh, I heard it described one time that it was, like trick-or-treat for adults but you went like door-to-door oh -door asking for like wine and I, spirits and give me the good stuff yes and in fact like the the song um uh, 
We Wish You a Merry Christmas oh, was actually yeah. sung really loud and really obnoxious. Yeah. Almost demanding, hey, give us right something right. and then we'll go away. Yeah. So this whole celebration is just too much. <laughs> There's just too much. So Increase Mather was questioning, hey, you know, how would Jesus feel about this? He would not be happy to see us all out here drunk and violent and partying it up. And so this actually led him to be the biggest proponent to ban Christmas. Mm. Uh, One of the pieces of this puzzle is that the Puritans were very concerned about the social hierarchy. So the celebration of Christmas threatened this hierarchy how, I hear you asking? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're staring the, me down. I was like, the wheels in my head are going, what? It's actually related to what you just talked about. So there was a tradition called wassailing. Uh-huh. And in this tradition, poor colonists would visit the houses of the rich, where they would offer well wishes in exchange for gifts. It sounds like a sweet tradition at first. So trick-or-treating for adults. Yes, trick-or-treating for... And I even put on here, I was like, it reminds me of caroling you know we yes. used to go caroling all the time door to door and every uh, year we always knew when we got to the end there was that one lady's house and she would have cookies and hot chocolate for us and we loved it mm-hmm. so it's similar to that um and again there's the carol where they sing bring us some figgy pudding bring it right now bring it right now we're not gonna leave unless you bring it so pretty demanding this actually has, like, I just thought it was a weird carol. Like, I thought it was silly, but it turns out there's a lot of truth behind the carol. Interesting. These people would just get schmasted, go to these houses, and demand stuff. And if you didn't give it to them, they would get violent. So, Ooh. for this one night, you have this, like, upheaval that's kind of inverting the social hierarchy. And they did not like that. Things had an order, and you were to stay with that order, and that was it. Wow. So that was that was a big proponent of this ban. Like, this was a big piece of the puzzle. Um, and on top of that, as we've discussed many a times, um, there are a lot of Hallmark Christmas traditions that are rooted in, we're going to use the term paganism just to represent anything outside of the Christian faith. Right. So... A lot of the things that Christians do on Christmas are rooted in paganism. Yes. So I've just picked out a few here. Um, the Christmas tree. You know, for Christians, it represents eternal life and the gift of eternal life that Jesus gives you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it has this, like, really sweet, happy meaning. Well, in paganism, um, it honored the Odin. I'm sorry, it honored Odin, the Norse god. Yep. And it would have been hung with the sacrifice of nine animals. That's a lot of animals. I mean, thankful for life still. You're sacrificing, like, just not quite as cute and dainty as our little pre-lit flocked trees, you know, that we have with our cute little handmade ornaments. Or my, you know, was it somebody called it, uh department store stylized yes. color theme tree. Yes. Um, another one, I actually almost did a whole episode on this, mistletoe. Yes. I never really thought about, like, why mistletoe? Why do we kiss under this mistletoe? What's the deal? It, it has some very um, lewd roots, we'll say. Right. So, for Christianity, um, it's typically a symbol of hardiness and survival, which kind of equates to this 
symbol of peace and goodwill and it's kind of a cute little cutesy tradition that we have um yeah i learned in trivia that mistletoe is not so cute right so gross right so for paganism um it was actually a symbol of life and fertility so yay life but also fertility right um it was considered an aphrodisiac Mm -hmm. which is why you kiss under it and ancient romans used to perform these fertility rituals underneath the mistletoe yes and it was all to honor the god saturn did you also know that mistletoe grows out of dung yes on branches poop it on the trees and then it grows and then it grows so it doesn't even really have to have its own tree necessarily to grow see i didn't realize that until i learned that at trivia yeah (laughs) or christmas trivia and i was like you've got to be kidding me it's literally grown from dung on a branch yeah so not not the prettiest of traditions no uh speaking of the christmas trees for hanging ornaments you know we kind of put those um symbolic memorabilia those kind of ornaments on our trees typically like you do you know your tree is very department store looking (laughs) ours is just a hodgepodge of ornaments from our childhood from my kids childhoods like it's Stuff people just have a, given us yeah yeah just like a memory tree well romans would hang metal ornaments on the trees outside and each ornament represented a different god so it was kind of like a shout out to the gods like <laughs> not what we do today right at all another one is the yule log mm-hmm. you know and it doesn't have to be a real yule log anymore you can just turn on the tv and you watch a Yule log on your TV, and it crackles, and they play the pretty music. Or you could get a Yule log cake. That's a thing. A Yule log cake? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, didn't really think anything, especially growing up. I was like, oh, it's like a nice, pretty warm fire because it's cold outside. Right. But Yule log actually originated in Norway. Uh, the Yule log was just a large log. And you place it on the fire of your home uh, on the winter solstice. So the longest night of the year. Mm-hmm. And this was ret- a celebration for the return of the sun. Yes. So what they believed is that the sun was a giant wheel of fire. And through the year, it would roll away from the earth. But starting on the winter solstice, it was it would be rolling back towards earth. Bringing back spring and summer. Mm -hmm. And so the Yule Log was kind of a celebration of that promise of the sun coming back and, you know, everything returning to life. So it was a whole other celebration. It actually had a meaning back then. Hmm. And Advent, too. Which, you have your Advent, the season. You have your Advent wreath. Kind of all tied together. I say, I always think that whenever I hear the word Advent, I always think of... The, the Christian Advent wreath with the four candles and then the one candle in the middle representing Christ. Right. And so that's how, that is how Christians use it. And, you know, each week has a theme that you, you know, peace, love, hope, hope and joy. Yeah. Uh, but you see throughout history that several cultures and faith celebrated advent before it was adopted into christianity the weeks leading up to winter solstice or even just the weeks through december they were celebrated they would light the candles they utilized wreaths in different like some people actually use the wreaths 
to hang, some made wreaths to wear on their head. There were all these different traditions around wreaths, um, but you're also lighting candles. You're using evergreens because it represents that life is going to continue on because they right. live no matter what. Evergreens. And, of course, giving gifts. Who doesn't love giving gifts? Who doesn't love giving gifts? So it really, even though it eventually got adopted into Christianity, the Advent wreath came to be the four candles with mm -hmm. the Christ candle. It had been going on for centuries before that. Oh, yeah. Just with different names, slightly different traditions. But growing up as a kid, I thought the Advent wreath was specific to, to Christianity. Oh, yeah. As I've gotten older, I'm... I'm amazed at how many traditions or, and um, rituals that we have in the Christian church that were actually taken from other cultures. Yes. Like, I don't even know that we have anything that is, like, specifically Christian, original to Christianity, I guess. I don't Right. A lot of it was adapted for. from other places. Yeah. Um, so these are just a few examples of mm -hmm. these traditions that were brought into Christianity and kind of shaped Christmas as we know it today. So you've got all of these things going on. You've got drunkenness, violence. You have, you know, this upheaval of the social hierarchy for a day or two. Sounds like a riot. And the Puritans are like, heck no, mm -mm. we're done. So they actually put it to law. Oh my gosh. They put in a law called the penitentiary penalty for keeping christmas remember this is 1659 right so you got a penalty for keeping christmas meaning anyone found celebrating christmas by feasting uh, not taking a day off of work or anything else that seemed to be a celebration of christmas you would be fined five shillings for every offense and that equals out to about fifty dollars today five shillings does yes I will pay my five shillings. Thank you. That's for every offense. So like Bring lighting on. candles, five shillings, giving gifts, five shillings, having a tree, five shillings, getting drunk, five shillings. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> we go broke over Christmas as Americans anyway. So that is true. I mean, bring it on. Yeah. So you had all these penalties and this law actually remained in place until 1681. So that's like, crazy. What, 22 years? Wow. That's somebody's whole childhood. Like, just ruined. Ruined. Several Christmas childhoods ruined. Ruined. Yeah. So, you know, even though the law was overturned, people were able to go back to celebrating Christmas. There weren't any fines. You don't have to worry about any kind of like retribution. Uh, the Puritans actually continued to deny themselves Christmas celebrations after this. See, my mind went down the rabbit hole of, I wonder if they had, like, underground secret Christmas celebrations somewhere. Right. Like, that's where my mind goes whenever you're talking about them canceling Christmas and you'll be fined if you're caught. Like, it makes me wonder, like, how many of them secretly See, I thought the Christmas. same thing. Like, there had to be... For the law to remain in place that long, like, it right. had to be... You know I that don't there know. was somebody that was like, I ain't abiding by this law. They can't tell me I can't have my Christmas feast. Yep. So just remember, anytime you feel like Christmas is just going down the gutter, <laughs> there was a time where it was illegal right. to celebrate Christmas. Thanks to our friends, the good old Puritans. Mr. Increase Mather. 
they canceled their own holiday. <laughs> he was the, he had to have been the inspiration for the Grinch. Had to have been. I'm just saying. To take all that joy away from kids for their entire childhood. Like, okay, here, I get canceling out the whole, like, let's maybe not get drunk and assault people to take things from their house. Right, right. Give but, the kids a Christmas tree. I mean, I, eat some good food. I mean. Right. That's one of the best parts of Christmas is you eat all these indulgent foods and oh. you don't eat, you know, normally. Right, right. <sighs> Cakes and pies and like our dad makes a whiskey cake every year. So good. We'll say every year. He just started making them. But we the don't get drunk years. and go we rob our neighbors. No, we don't get drunk and go <laughs> rob our neighbors. I didn't know that that was on the the list of possibilities. Yeah. So that's my story about the time that Christmas was actually canceled. Okay. And hopefully you will feel a little more grateful for the celebrations you were able to have um, from 1681 onward. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. So you canceled Christmas. I'm going to bring it back with a Christmas gift that saved lives. That sounds perfect. Okay. So we talked a little bit about gift giving. Right. Like, that's just one of the holiday traditions. And really, it's not just Christmas that is known for gift giving. There's lots of the holidays that include gift giving as part of their traditions. And it was interesting whenever I came across this because I thought, what if your holiday gift was life-saving? That'd be freaking awesome. So, like, I think about the year that you gave me the life, was it life straw, life water straw? Yes. Where it's like you can like keep it in your backpack and you can, I don't know if you're stranded somewhere you can drink water and it purifies it and that could save your life. Right. Well, during World War II, so yes, I am going to go a little dark on this, but don't worry, it's it's okay. So during World War II, there were a vast number of prisoner combatants that were accumulated by either side. Mm-hmm. Okay, and in fact. I didn't realize that there were this many, but there were roughly 120,000 Americans that found themselves in captivity. Dang. Yeah. And, you know, being held captive was, it's a dangerous position to be in. Right. You might get lucky and your captors might be gracious enough to be at least somewhat civil towards you. But a lot of times, that's not the case. Um... In fact, it, it's so dangerous that out of that 120,000 Americans, 14,059 of them actually died in an enemy. An enemy. An enemy. <laughs> captivity. Um, and, you know, this experience of being held captive, it can be humiliated. Uh, humili- wow. You know You're what? struggling today. I haven't even had anything to drink, Katie. <laughs> The experience of being held captive could be humiliating and traumatic. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. Right. I know. We've seen... There's nothing good. No. I mean, even in the Hollywood movies where it's, I'm sure, boiled down. Like, oh, the I'm just horrors. thinking, like, the pictures that came out of World War II mm-hmm. and just yeah. the pictures alone. Mm-hmm. And, because, you know, on top of being overcome by the enemy, which is... As a soldier, that's humiliating Mm -hmm. because especially like in Japanese culture, like they would rather 
kill themselves than to be right. taken captive because that's considered dishonorable. You know, on top of, so on top of this humiliation, rations are meager and many of them were actually forced to do heavy labor. And even though the Geneva Convention laid out rules that were meant to provide standards of treatments for prisoners of war, they're not always followed because, I mean, right. you can put rules in place, but unless somebody's enforcing them, yeah, they don't do any good. Um, so again, you know, you might get lucky and your captors might be nice to you, but there's nothing that really made them be nice to you. So some right. of these prisoners were in some pretty bad um, positions and, um, you know, for those that did find themselves captive in World War II, the only hope was either to be set free or attempt an escape. And one escaped assistance attempt. Let me say that again, because I, as I was reading this, I was like, wait, hold on. Escape assistance attempt. Oof. Was in particularly mm -hmm. sneaky. And in fact, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen this in a film yet, because this is like perfect war movie spy type activity. Maybe so that's our next big thing. <laughs> right. So, in 1944, thanks to the Geneva Convention, the German army did allow prisoners of war to receive Christmas care packages. Oh. From organizations like the Red Cross. That's So, that was one... I say that was one nice thing. They're like, okay, okay. Look, we know we're holding your people captive, but it's Christmas, and we know that Christmas is kind of important. Just seems oddly generous for them i know especially World right, War II. right. <laughs> but yeah they actually they did they allowed them to receive these christmas care packages um now of course these deliveries were searched you know so they get these care packages and the germans would go through them um and if any weapon was found it was confiscated but then that prisoner would not be able to receive any more packages oh so it's kind of a like oh okay we've got this great opportunity to like mm. sneak some stuff into them, weapons, plans, anything to help them out. Right. But if it gets caught, then that prisoner's really screwed. Yeah. You know? So, despite this risk, um, the American and British intelligence, they actually came up with an idea to smuggle in items that would help the prisoners escape. Okay. Super risky, but totally worth it. So they partnered with a very unlikely company. They partnered with the United States Playing Card Company to produce what they called map decks for prisoners. Oh, I'm already intrigued. <laughs> map decks. Well, so playing cards have always been a long-standing part of frontline life for soldiers. They're small, like, playing cards right. isn't like, you know, your standard, you know, ace and queens and jacks, that kind of playing right. cards. That's, it was just a standard part of frontline life for them because they were small, they were lightweight, they could carry them in a pocket. You could um, do all kinds of games exactly, and keep like, yourself entertained. I mean, outside of, like, you know, solitaire, bridge, go fish. Basically, you could come up with any game yeah. using your imagination 
in this deck of like is it 52 cards yeah yeah 52 cards huh so it, it's it's simple you know they don't have to carry a lot of different things with them and it helps them pass the time um and i didn't realize this but all standard playing cards are made by joining two layers of paper oh it's not a single piece of paper right it's two pieces of paper that are like glued or laminated together yeah so basically you have a front and a back stuck together oh. i know the wheels are turning aren't i they? like where this is going so the map decks that were created they looked just like any other standard deck of cards which decreased the likelihood of them being confiscated because mm. nobody's going to question a deck of cards. Like, that was just a common... Right. You open it, you see that there's cards, you move on. Right. I mean, how many mm. times have we put, like, a deck of cards in, like, the Operation Christmas Child boxes? Right. You know, it, you just don't think anything of it. It's just a standard game. But there wasn't anything common about these decks of cards. <laughs> this was great. So, within the layers of the playing cards escape maps were concealed but it's not like there was one on like every single like it's not like it was a different map on every card which i'll get to that in a minute but so basically whenever water was applied to the cards, so they could like soak these cards in water or some kind of liquid and then they could peel apart the layers to reveal a piece of the escape route oh gosh that's so stressful. <laughs> so then the prisoners would then have to take all of the pieces and put them together like a jigsaw puzzle to get a map of the entire German region. Holy cow. And these maps showed potential escape routes along with instructions and tips for how to successfully escape. I have so many more questions. But I don't want to jump ahead. So. Well, and it, it's kind of funny. I couldn't find a whole lot of information on this. But what I have is what I found. Right. You know, because I'm kind of like you. I have more questions. Like, how did they notice soak right. them in That's, water? I was like, who told, who tipped them off? Like, hey, hey, buddy, you peel these cards apart. Know. There's a whole map. Like, it had to have been, like, just a... There had to have been, like, a code word or something in there. But I couldn't find anything on how they knew to do this i just think like on a wink and a prayer somebody accidentally gets this card wet and, and they're finds, like, like what's on this hey look at that Magic. it's a piece of a map there's probably more right so i don't know i couldn't find anything on it but so out of the 52 cards 48 of them contained pieces of that larger german region map mm-hmm the four aces contained individual, like, micro-sized maps. Oh. So those did have, like, individual different maps on them. Okay. On the four aces. And they contained details of, like, specific roads or rivers. I guess, you know, places that they would have to navigate that might yeah. be a little tricky or whatever. All to kind of make sure that they get to land that is safe for them to be in. Hmm. Now, not every prisoner received a package with the map decks because that's super risky. Right. It's like, kind of obvious. Yeah. You kind of have to like space them out. And so again, this creates more questions of, well, how do you know if you got the deck? 
well, how do you know that you need to do something with this deck? And do they have the prisoners separated all the time? Are they in one big, like, kennel? Right. I don't know. Kennel's not the word, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. Uh, A cell. Yeah. Right. I just have so many questions. <laughs> But there was a way that they could at least tell the difference between a regular pack of playing cards and the map deck of playing cards. So the map deck of playing cards, they were printed in blue and white. And they had a crooked cellophane seal. Mm. Which, I mean, you could kind of pass that off like, okay, well, these red and white ones, all of them are perfect. These blue and white ones, it's crooked. Maybe whenever they manufactured them, there was something wrong. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not a huge red flag. Right. It's not like you open up a care package and go, hey, that's a pocket knife. Right. So, so yeah. So, there, there was a way to tell a difference between the two different decks. Now, the part of the reason why I couldn't find more information on this is the map deck of cards was kept a secret for as long as possible because it was actually a clear violation of the Geneva Convention. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was kind of one of those, like, because of the Geneva Convention, they were able to get packages in, but they were also providing ways to... Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't really until the 1970s that this escape project was even really brought to light. Hmm. Um, and in fact, today, there are only two deck of cards that survive from this period. <laughs> where are they? Well, I don't know where the other one is, but it, for, for sure, one of them is owned by the International Spy Museum in Washington, oh, D.C. That's perfect. Which has a, um, it does have a dissected six of clubs where you can actually see the hidden map. Oh, we have to go. It's, uh, it's really cool. So I do have some pictures I can share. I did find a few pictures of this and it is really neat where they've got them like laid out and you can kind of like see the map. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Um, so was this, was this a successful attempt to help the prisoners of works escape? yes and no um they were able to get the cards in and it did make it to some of the prisoners and about 32 prisoners were actually able to escape specifically from um this place called Kolditz castle where Hmm. they were holding prisoners in germany um 30 so 32 prisoners were able to escape from there wow and over 300 attempts were made across all of Germany to escape. Wow. So, I mean, I guess it had some of a, somewhat of an impact. And, I mean, it saved at least 32 lives. So... Well, and if nothing else, it's giving hope to the prisoners that the people back home are trying to, to get, get us out. out. Yeah. Like, yeah. sometimes that hope is enough. Exactly. Sometimes hope is all that you need. And for them, like I said earlier, the only hope they had at the time was to either be set free... Or to escape. Yeah. Huh. So, while it may not have saved thousands of lives, this top secret gift did save at least some. And I'm sure they're just incredibly grateful for the help. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, can you imagine, like, being trapped in 
discovering this like map in your, your deck of playing cards that oh tells gosh. you how to get out and tips on how to get out and I can't wrap my head around the feeling that that would bring. Well, because I mean, in a way, it brings hope, but then at the same time, it's also like this fear of, well, if I get out, you know, there's a good chance that if I get caught, well, then they're just gonna shoot me on the spot. True. You know, because that's kind of how they rolled. Mm-hmm. You know, if they caught you trying to escape, right. there's no second chances. So I don't know, but I thought this was kind of a cool story of a Christmas gift actually saving some lives that's really cool kind of unheard like i had never even heard of this i hadn't either and i thought well that's kind of a cool christmas story (laughs) um because i yeah i had not heard of these these packages being one the packages even being sent in for christmas right they don't talk about the stuff in school um much less the the top secret cards that's so freaking cool and i don't why have we not seen this in a movie that's a good question because you see all these other, like, tricks and... I don't even know what to call them. But, like, right. you see all these other attempts. And they are really cool. Oh, um, yeah. But that is really neat. Yeah. Well, you definitely brought it back. I, like I said, you canceled Christmas and I at least brought a little bit so, of hope. Okay, to be fair, Christmas didn't stay canceled. You're right. Like, You're it, right. Came back. it came back. <laughs> it came back. It came back. I mean, we still celebrate it today, obviously. Yes. So. But, well, we just wanted to maybe bring you guys a little Christmas joy, maybe to unwind as you're coming down off the Christmas high of all the crazy kids running around and family drama and eating too much sugar. Uh, Oh, for sure. Yeah, so. And maybe learn something that you didn't know before, because we did. It's always good to learn. Yes. So, we just wanted to wish you all... Um, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, whatever you do or do not celebrate. Yes. Uh, we send you well wishes and good vibes. And in case we don't catch you, which I don't think we'll be dropping an episode later this week, Happy New Year. Very Happy New Year. Because 2023 Ooh. is literally around the corner. I don't so. want anybody saying 2023 is going to be our year. <laughs> Let's just roll in listen, all nice and quiet. Listen, if <laughs> I can just, you know, if 2023 can just be like a woosaw year, I would be happy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> great things don't have to happen. Bad things definitely don't have to happen. Yes. Just, can we just have a year where we just, like, just coast? Yes. 23 is going to be my year of coast. And regardless of the kind of year you end up having, having we will be here with more information, yes. more weirdness, hopefully a lot more laughs. Absolutely. And we just want to thank each and every one of you for listening in. Yep. Well, so you guys have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year, and we will catch you all in 2023. Bye. Bye.